Hey folks, I'm Roxane Gay, and this is Historically Black, a production of APM Reports and The Washington Post. This fall, the Smithsonian's long-awaited National Museum of African American History and Culture opened on the Mall in Washington, D.C. In covering the story, the Post invited people across the country to submit photos of objects that represent their own personal and family connections to Black history. Each week, this podcast features one of those objects and the stories behind it. This time, we're doing things a bit differently. We'll be talking about the man who made the object rather than the family that owns it. My name is Deirdre Darden, and the object that I submitted is a James Van Der Zee photo of my grandfather, Alfred. The late James Van Der Zee was an inventive and incredibly prolific photographer in New York City during what has become known as the Harlem Renaissance. By the end of his life, Van Der Zee would be regarded as the most important photographer of that time. My mom found the original photo um, in my grandfather's belongings in Jersey City after he passed away. And he's very young, we think maybe like mid-20s. Which means the black and white photo was taken in the 1930s. It shows a nicely dressed young man with a snap-brimmed hat tilted at a jaunty angle. To me, this photo looks exactly like my brother. And so I just see this sort of like funny, probably like really smart kind of sly guy that's fashionable. Yeah, just like a cool cat. In the 1920s and early 30s, uptown New York was teeming with cool cats. Many had fled the oppressive racial laws and customs of the Jim Crow South. In Harlem and other urban black neighborhoods, a new wave of African-American art, literature, and music swept in. James Van Der Zee is kind of in the middle of that. Thomas Allen Harris is a New York filmmaker. He has chronicled the history of African-American photographers and says many of Van Der Zee's subjects had been voyagers in this great migration. So he was documenting African-Americans as they moved from being rural to being urban. And my grandparents were also part of that movement. Harris's grandmother moved to Harlem from South Carolina. His father came down from upstate New York. When the couple married, they went to James Van Der Zee's portrait studio to get their picture taken. Uh, my grandfather, his, his, his hair was parted and perhaps conked a bit. My grandmother had her hair kind of uh, shoulder length. She was wearing a white dress. He was wearing a tie. They looked so dignified and so young and so happy. They looked like they could have stepped off of a, a Hollywood soundstage, you know, because it was that kind of uh, polish in the image in their eyes, the self-assurance. It was absolutely uh, glamorous and, and, and beautiful, you know, and there's, you know, power in both of those things. One of Van Der Zee's most iconic images is of an attractive young couple wearing raccoon coats. They're on a Harlem street, looking confidently at the camera and posing with a gleaming Cadillac convertible. Now, most white Americans of the time did not associate glamour and beauty or power with a black couple. 
Profoundly racist caricatures of African Americans were everyday entertainment in magazines, on postcards, the radio, and movie screens. The Harlem Renaissance was a time when black artists and intellectuals across the country fought back against such degrading stuff. They declared the emergence of the new Negro, urbane, intelligent, and above all, uniquely creative. Harlem was viewed as the capital of black America. John Wright is a historian at the University of Minnesota. He says Van Der Zee's photographs of well-dressed, dignified Harlemites was a way of asserting a new picture of black folk. The emergence of photography and of black community-based photographers taking images that served this reconstruction of the image of a new Negro is all of a piece. James Van Der Zee might have been a musician instead of a photographer. He was born in 1886 and grew up in the western Massachusetts resort town of Lenox. It was a popular spot for the white East Coast elite. Van Der Zee's parents were house servants to the wealthy and were themselves cultured and relatively comfortable. Van Der Zee grew up playing piano and violin. He had dreams of becoming a professional musician. At the age of 14, he got his first camera and set up a darkroom in his closet. At 19, he and his brother Walter moved to New York City. Van Der Zee's widow, his third wife, Donna Van Der Zee, says the career in photography came almost by accident. So he's in New York, and he's working odd jobs as elevator operator, and doing gigs, and teaching music, and um, he takes a job in New Jersey, after he had seen an ad in the newspaper that said they needed a darkroom person. So he always used to like to say, I thought I was dark enough to get the job. One day, the white boss was out. James took over in the posing studio. With his gracious, gentle manner, he was much better than the boss at making people comfortable. Customers were soon asking to be photographed by, quote, the colored fellow. When Van Der Zee was doing as much work outside as in the darkroom, he asked for a raise. The man refused to give him a raise. And so he said, well, I can do this myself. I know how to do this. James and his wife at the time, Gaynella, eventually opened a portrait studio on 135th Street in Harlem. She was a talented business manager. He made most of the photographs. Trade was brisk. In the studio, one of Van Der Zee's specialties was using props and painted backdrops to create a tableau, a detailed visual allegory. He also used photomontage to tell stories. In one photo, a young couple poses in their wedding finery in front of a painted fireplace. Van Der Zee has superimposed a little girl, partly transparent, at their feet. I said, well, Van, how did these people take this? Because... You started out with them. The subject was them. They were newlyweds. And here you have uh, the insertion of a, a child. Sometimes, he said, there was a space in the photograph that he wanted to fill. As simple as that. Van Der Zee told the couple the photo would be called Future Expectations. And they loved it. Historian John Wright says Van Der Zee also used darkroom techniques to make his clients look their best. He used to talk quite a bit about how his subjects oftentimes didn't uh, realize just how beautiful they were. At the age of 91, Van Der Zee recalled in a TV interview how he would retouch negatives to eliminate facial lines and wrinkles. 
As you can see, just with lines in that face, it's not necessary there. Well, it wasn't beautiful. I took out the, the unbeautifulness, put them in the position that they look beautiful, and took out the defects. Well, they all look beautiful to me. Van Der Zee's clients were almost always well-dressed in their photos. Some historians say he kept a wardrobe at the ready for those who could not afford good clothes. To have enough clothing for all of his people, he would have to be Bloomingdale's. Donna Van Der Zee disputes the idea. Remember, it was not inexpensive to have a photograph taken. You had to look your best. Not only that, they may have borrowed a suit or a a jacket or a dress or a hat from a relative. That's what I would do. In addition to studio work, Van Der Zee was also a kind of Harlem photojournalist. One of Van Der Zee's big clients in the mid-1920s was the United Negro Improvement Association, or UNIA. It was led by a fiery Jamaican immigrant named Marcus Garvey and was the largest mass movement of black Americans in history. Fellow citizens of Africa, I greet you in the name of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, and African Communities League of the World. This is Garvey in 1921. The UNIA opened chapters across the country with a message of black political and economic self-sufficiency and a call for black people around the world to unite. There are 400 million Africans in the world who have Negro blood coursing through their veins. And we believe that the time has come to unite these 400 million people for the one common purpose of bettering their condition. Along with taking pictures of Marcus Garvey and his movement, Van Der Zee was also hired to photograph Harlem church and social groups, fraternal organizations, and sports teams. Some posed in his studio, some in the streets. The Van Der Zee studio was housed in four different locations in Harlem over the years, but he always kept it at street level rather than a less expensive walk-up. That way, customers had easy access, and he could display his work in the front window for people passing by to see. One was a Chrysler showroom, and that's when he took a lot of group pictures with 50 people in them, you know, large groups. Donna Vanderzee says the showroom was Gaynella's idea. She was very creative and wanted him to be successful. She believed in him and uh, was willing to stand in back of him for what he needed. That was Gaynella. Van Der Zee also specialized in the kind of portraiture that may seem peculiar to some contemporary eyes, but was fairly common at the time. He photographed Harlem's recently dead. They were shown resting in their coffins at church or in a funeral home, often with religious icons hovering, superimposed in the background. The Great Depression of the 1930s hit Harlem hard. Unlike many other businesses, Vanderzee's studio endured. But after World War II, his portrait business began to dry up. Vanderzee blamed it on increasingly affordable amateur cameras and the growth of snapshot photography. 
But it was also that his turn-of-the-century pictorial style was simply no longer fashionable. He turned to making ID photos and even autopsy pictures for insurance companies. His studio was still open, but he rarely got business. By the late 1960s, the Vanderzees were impoverished, living in a small, squalid apartment, and facing eviction. In 1969, James Vanderzee was rediscovered when a researcher for the Metropolitan Museum of Art tracked him down. The Met was mounting a show to be called Harlem on My Mind. The researcher was delighted to see that Vanderzee had hundreds of boxes and shopping bags filled with negatives and prints documenting Harlem of the previous six decades. The exhibition was widely denounced for entirely omitting other black artists from an art show about Harlem. But Vanderzee's photos got attention like never before. Historian John Wright. People began to understand just how vast a reservoir he had in his archives. And from then on, he became very much the object of popular attention, but again, of scholars and archivists and of uh, historians of photography. Some money trickled in from the Met show and from photograph sales, but James Vanderzee was still broke. His wife, Gaynella, died in 1976. Two years later, Vanderzee married Donna. She had been working in the art world and helping take care of him. He was 89. She was 60 years younger. Donna Vanderzee soon tried to cajole her husband into making photographs again. She got his backdrops and the big 8x10 camera out of storage. And then came an unexpected request from a pair of well-known art collectors. Camille Cosby called up and said, is Vanderzee taking photographs? If so, Bill would like to be photographed. Bill Cosby was our first subject, and I said, Van, we've got a client. He said, no, no. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to take any photographs. I said, you've seen everything is ready. And the day of, he was not very pleased with me. But with the help of a younger black photographer, Vanderzee made the picture. Today, Cosby is accused of drugging and sexually assaulting dozens of women. But at the time, he was one of the most popular entertainers in the country. In Vanderzee's photo, Cosby is seated in a carved wooden chair wearing a pinstripe suit. He has a genteel hat and a pair of gloves on his lap and a cigar in his hand. When the negative was developed and he saw the image, Vanderzee said, that's pretty good. And so I said, we can do more. He said, okay. In his 90s, Vanderzee made a handful of celebrity portraits. His subjects included singer Lou Rawls, actors Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, and boxer Muhammad Ali. And he was increasingly recognized in the art world as a photographer of great consequence. Historian John Wright says Vanderzee captured rich details of Harlem life that would have otherwise gone unrecorded and possibly forgotten. Probably what's remarkable about Vanderzee is that, you know, he, over the course of more than 40 years living in that community, compiled the largest body of photographs by any single photographer in the country, regardless of, of ethnic group. Uh, over 100,000 photographs. 
in the course of, of, of Van Der Zee's career, and there's nothing like it anyplace else. James Van Der Zee died in 1983 at the age of 96. His work has been collected by major museums around the world. Donna Van Der Zee says her husband considered himself a creative person, but not necessarily an artist. Photography was still in its infancy, and it not considered the uh, level of art that it is today. And so uh, a person owning a shop was was hardly one to consider himself on a par with uh, artists who, um, who were painters, for instance. In fact, she says, he took up photography in part because he wasn't so good at drawing. He could never draw faces and get them right. So he says that's one reason he so much wanted a camera. That's our story for this week of the great Harlem photographer James Vanderzee. You have been listening to Historically Black, a podcast collaboration of APM Reports and The Washington Post. It was produced by Stephen Smith and Kate Ellis and edited by Mary Beth Kirshner. We had production help from Larissa Anderson, Kai Thomas, Ryan Katz, and Corey Schreppel. The Post staff includes Julia Carpenter, Veronica Tony, and Jessica Stahl. Our theme music is by X144. If you want to contribute to Historically Black's online museum of objects from African American history, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Historically Black. We'll be back next week. I'm Roxanne Gay. <laughs> <laughs>